Hello, and welcome to the Her Voice podcast. I'm Kamal Caruso, one of your hosts today and Chief Revenue Officer for HerMD. We're a female forward wellness center committed to empowering women through comprehensive health, beauty, and wellness services. You can visit our website at hermdhealth.com, where you can learn about our mission and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Today, we have Dr. Somi Javed, our founder, as well as Kathy Lai, our chief strategy officer. Kathy has 15 years of experience helping companies create uh, and realize their value. She's also co-founded her own wellness company. She graduated from Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management, and she joined us last year as our chief strategy officer for her MD, and she's led our COVID-19 response. Today, we have Somi Javed and Kathy to talk about leading through crisis and how we've managed that at HerMD through COVID-19. Uh, welcome, ladies. How are you guys today? Doing really well. Great. Well, it's good to have you back. This is our second episode, and I'm excited to talk to you guys again. It's been an interesting week all around, I think. And this past weekend was Mother's Day. So Somi, tell us a little bit about what you did. I got to spend the day with all of my kids, which was a great way to start. And we had some of my favorite foods and had a picnic, took a nice long walk. So we had a really good day just bonding and enjoying some really good food and spending some time together and watching the sunset. It's so funny. You're like, we spent the day together and I did spend the day mostly or partly with the kids, but I also wanted just time alone. So I told Jim, I'm like, I actually like just for like half the day, don't want to see the kids or be a mom for part of the day. I don't want to be a mom. I don't want to be a cook. I don't want to be a cleaner. I don't want to be a dog walker is what I said. So my children came up with the most asinine idea on Mother's Day, um, and this is the only time that they got in trouble. So they suggested that there should be a Children's Day. And I said, oh, you mean the other 364 days of the year where I take care of you all and drive you places and work so that I can provide so you could do your sports and do everything that you want to do with your friends. I said, that's fine. We'll do a kid's day. Good luck finding someone to drive you around, pay for everything and prepare your meals the other 363 days of the year. <laughs> they did not like that response. They quickly rejected <laughs> The idea of a kid's day and realized that they have basically the whole year. I showed them the video after they brought up kid's day. You, you guys have all seen it, right? The interview where they're giving this job description and they're like, okay, so job is 365 days uh, a year. You know, the associates you're going to be working for need your constant attention. They're very demanding. You have to prepare meals. You have to be able to make, you know, plans on the fly. You have to have all this skill set and you basically have to ignore yourself. And the work around holidays intensifies and you get paid nothing. And everyone doing this interview is like, ah, oh, why would anyone take this job? And they're like, well, there's millions, actually billions of people that take this job on willingly. And people are laughing and saying, no way. And they're like, yeah, it's your mom. 
Sean had this almost embarrassed. So Sean is my 19 year old had this almost look of embarrassment after he had brought on the, you know, let's do a kid's day, watch this thing, looked at me and like walked away for a second. He's like, never mind. I've obviously lost. I was like, checkmate. <laughs> it's true though. It's definitely it's true. true. It's true. Yeah. Kathy, how did you spend your weekend? You are a cat mama. What did you do to celebrate Mother's Day? <laughs> Well, needless to say, Luke, my cat, had no idea that it was Mother's Day, so no celebration unfolded, (laughs) but um, my mom is out in LA, my sister's out in LA, so she went over to my mom's house and they FaceTimed me, which was fun, and then I got to spend the rest of the day by myself, which is how I would want to be pampered if I was a mom, like Monty did, so (laughs) it was pretty great. (laughs) Maybe I should try that next time. I don't know. I like being surrounded by a lot of times chaos, but you guys know that. I'm working on the calm. (laughs) So yeah, let's get into it. So to jump into our topic for today, we've all been personally, obviously dealing with COVID and the implications on our personal life for the past eight to 10 weeks, depending on where we are in the country. But it's also impacted many businesses and in particular, you know, our business and reacting to COVID and coming up with different strategies on how to manage, you know, our staff and our patients and the practice through all of it. And Kathy has been instrumental in leading the effort for us on COVID-19. So Kathy, when did COVID really start to impact the practice? So obviously, COVID's been percolating in the news since probably early January. I think in early March, we started more closely monitoring the situation. You all probably remember the day that the NBA season was canceled and the European ban went into place and Tom Hanks got COVID. And that was the day when we were all like, crap, this is really serious and we need to prepare for it. So we were already starting to take precautionary measures at that point. We were cleaning the office more regularly. Our staff started wearing face masks. We started monitoring our temperatures. But at the same time, we were struggling with probably what every business owner at the time was thinking, which is, should we, out of abundance of caution, take more drastic measures like shut down our medical spa entirely? Or should we keep the practice open so that we can continue to pay our employees and our bills? So we were kind of torn between that decision. And, you know, like most small businesses, we didn't have a pile of cash sitting around for a rainy day. On March 19th, the state of Ohio mandated that all day spas were to remain closed. Our office is half medical practice, half medical spa. And even though medical spas are different from day spas, our lead esthetician is pregnant and was pregnant at the time. And we just felt like it was the right thing to do to discontinue all med spa services on March 19th. And then the following week, Ohio's stay-at-home order started. And even though gynecology was listed as an essential service, we decided to shut down our practice for two weeks and transition all the appointments that we could to telemedicine. So that was really the start of it. You know, life was changing radically and rapidly as we all knew it. And we felt like we needed to give everyone time to adjust, deal, and then figure out childcare and just their schedules and get their grocery shopping done. Remember, this is when no one could find toilet paper all of a sudden and, you know, figure out what they were going to do day to day and then also see what they were going to do about their work schedule. So that time also allowed 
our staff to take care of their personal lives. And I think they really appreciated that. It seems like so long ago that that happened and it was only like two months ago. And I remember, you know, just have listening to the press conferences every day and coming up with like the daily action plan. Like what are our key takeaways and like, what do we have to implement next? And what do we need to think about? And so in some of those earlier calls, Kathy, do you want to talk about some of the things that we realized that we just needed to review in more detail or start to think more long-term? Because I think it started to become abundantly clear in early days after a few days of having those calls. Like we really need to think through like this long-term. I think what astounded us about this entire experience is how much work and coordination it actually requires to close and to do nothing at all. There were so many things that we had to think about and plan around. I think what was helpful was that we had each other, right? In a sense, we created this virtual war room where we were talking sometimes multiple times a day, focused only on COVID and what our response was going to be. But a lot of the things that we were dealing with was obviously safety, making sure that our patients and our uh, staff remained safe and healthy. But we were also launching a telemed solution at the time. And luckily for us, we had already put in the infrastructure in place, but we hadn't actually had any patients use the telemedicine platform yet. So when we first launched it, and even to this day, it's a bit of a manual back end for us. So we had to figure out the process for that. How were people going to book those telemedicine appointments? And how were the physicians going to actually carry those out? We had to think about phone coverage. Up until that point, our staff was not accustomed to working from home. So everyone had to figure out how do we get the, our phone calls routed from our office line to our homes and be able to log on to all the systems that we needed to have access to in order to respond to those phone calls. We had to think a lot about PPE too, because at some point we knew we were going to reopen, but we needed to get our hands on all the things that were really scarce at the time, like hand sanitizer, face masks, uh, even things like probe covers for our thermometer so that we could take people's temperature. We had to think through all the things. And luckily we ordered those very early on because it took months for them to arrive at our office just in time for us to reopen. We had a whole full load of appointments that we had to reschedule. So every day we have about 50 gin appointments. And then on top of that, we also had spa appointments scheduled and we had to call each one of those back individually and reschedule them. And then obviously we had cash flow concerns. Like I said, we didn't have a big pile of cash that we were sitting on. At the time, I, I feel like we had maybe a week, maybe two weeks of cash sitting in our bank account. And we, need to, we needed to come up with a plan so that we could extend that lifeline and make sure that the practice survived this prolonged closing period. I'd say in addition to that, it was really important that we kept on top of all the different news briefings and federal and state orders because every day there were new restrictions coming out, there were new laws, there were new regulations, and we had to stay on top of it. Some of it had to do with financial aid that we could tap into, which was absolutely critical for us, and others were about new procedures, new opening dates, closing dates, things like that. So we had to keep a close eye on that as well. Kathy, I'm going to call you our COVID queen, though, um, because I feel like you <laughs> navigated us through this um, very elegantly. And 
And I agree with you. It felt like we were at war with this tiny viral, you know, particle that was permeating through every aspect of our practice, how we take care of patients, how we take care of each other, how do we protect the business and everything that we have built over the last five years. And I remember feeling this immense fear of, am I going to be taken down by something that I can't even see this practice of over 7,000 patients that we've built from scratch Um, literally watch the building go up and, you know, build everything. And I remember getting complimented by both our billing company and other physicians who were working at hospital and other private practices who hadn't been able to get their telehealth up and running. And there was a backlog and they were complimenting us saying that you guys have already got this, you're scheduled. And so even though we hadn't had even one patient prior to COVID, we had the systems in place on, on telehealth and I think I counted in the first two weeks, we had, we had seen over 60 patients with a new system. And with as small as our staff is, we were able to do that. And patients were so grateful. And we were able to maintain that connection. And through COVID and this supreme environment of isolation, being able to still reach our patients, see them was huge for all of us. And patients were very thankful. The other thing I remember feeling so angry about through all of that was when we ordered that PPE, even though we er ordered it early on, just how expensive it was. And I remember feeling this feeling of how ludicrous is this, that this, the things that we need to function as providers are going to cost us three, four, five times as much because of the environment. And I guess that's supply and demand, but that was a tough lesson to learn. So those are the things that I wanted to touch on as you were talking that really stood out to me. You know, you, you made so many good points and I wanted to circle back because I work remote. Um, I'm not in the office, but I, I still was very much kept in the loop. I think our, the communication from our COVID queen, now you're, you're going to be dubbed oh, that. <laughs> I want to sing that song, but I won't because I'm a terrible boy. <laughs> that song from the 80s, it's Caribbean Queen, but instead it'll be COVID. Yep, it's in my head now. Thank you. <laughs> now it is in my head too. But being on the out, not on the outside, but away, right? I wasn't physically at our office in Cincinnati. I still felt like I was very much kept in the loop and communication was, I think, really key to that and thinking through just all the different points of communication for employees. Can you talk through in a little more detail your communication plan with employees and like what you were taking into consideration, what was important in leading them through this type of crisis? I think what we were trying to combat with our employees and just in general was an overwhelming feeling of fear and uncertainty that we were all probably feeling in, in late March, early April, our employees were afraid of the virus and getting or contracting it. They were afraid for how they were going to pay their bills. They were afraid for things that they didn't even know that they should be afraid for yet. How are they were going to source toilet paper, for example? That feeling was just so pervasive at that time. And so it was important to us that we over communicate with our employees because even though we didn't have the answers, I think what they really appreciated was we told them what we knew, we told them what we didn't know, and even if we hadn't made any decisions yet, we told them how we were thinking about 
making a decision. And I think they really appreciated that transparency because they wanted to know that we were thinking through all of these things, even if we couldn't predict the future. And you guys know, our staff is like family to us. And they also are smart and they can read us. And so there's no way that we could have kept anything from them, nor would we have wanted to. But there are no secrets among our team. So, you know, the more closed off we could have acted, the I think the more that would have just inflated their sense of fear. In terms of making sure that we took care of our employees and that we did right by them, that was obviously um, something that was really important to us. And as a business manager, it's very tough to kind of see your team go through challenges like that. You know, Somi last week talked about how she felt an obligation to make her practice a success because she had so many team members leave their former jobs to come join her on this crazy mission. I think they really appreciated, though, you reaching out to them during this time. I know that they felt very heard, and they felt like they had ownership in part of the plan. And Kathy, you did a great job uh, fielding suggestions. I know sometimes, you know, with so many women, it was overwhelming to filter through that, but at least they were able to come to you with ideas and weren't closed off and you were willing to listen to everybody because everyone had a different viewpoint on things that affect them. And if they were able to work from home, they, you know, expressed to you that they missed everybody. And so mm -hmm. we started staff meetings, you know, Zoom style every two weeks in the evenings. And that way, even if it was a social call for some of them, they were able to see each other and know what was happening and not feel isolated. Because along with the fear, you know, with COVID has come this supreme level of isolation. And they were so thankful when you set that up and, you know, took that cue from them and they loved that. And it was a great way to stay connected um, and to still talk about quote unquote, the normal things um, that we do every single day. So I love yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the communication with employees went two ways and that was very important because there's only so much information that you can stay on top of. And there were so many times when our team was sending me information about new press releases and new regulations that I wasn't even aware of. When we were completing our reopening plan, there were so many aspects of the operations that I wasn't thinking about. And so it's so important to get that feedback from employees. And another thing that we very deliberately did was we had one-on-one -on -one calls with every employee as well. Obviously, there were group emails going around about important announcements, but we made a point to check in with everybody one-on-one -on -one so that we could just talk to them about how they were feeling personally, what their concerns were, what kind of obligations that they had to fulfill at home because their kids were out of school or they didn't have daycare anymore. And so those one-on-one -on -one conversations were really important in order for us to create a reopening plan that accommodated people as much as possible. What I loved about the phone calls that you had with them and what the feedback I did get is you, you accomplished two things, at least with those phone calls. So you allowed them privacy to make those decisions. So if they 
did not feel comfortable coming into work or they had a personal reason, they were um, at risk, they were able to, in a safe environment without feeling group pressure, tell you the reasons that they did not want to come back to work or could not come back to work. And then they also felt valued. They felt much more than an employee number. And I remember, you know, a lot of our employees have come from a hospital setting. I did as well. And I oftentimes felt like no more than a commodity or an employee number to a particular hospital system, but we valued them. And, you know, our mantra and a lot of other companies as well is, you know, take care of your employees and they will take care of you and your business and your patients. And I think they felt very, very valued when we went above and beyond the group emails and you took the time to talk to them and call them each individually. Well, it's so good to hear that. And I think when the office was eventually reopening, we felt that as a team, when people came back, they were gracious, they were loyal, they were excited to get back to work, they were supportive of all the hard decisions that we had to make. So it was really, it went both ways. I mean, they stuck with us and were truly understanding even when we had to deliver bad news. I think, Kathy, you've said before, there was a lot of stuff we did, you know, and it was a lot of work to keep our office closed. But while we were doing that and working on all of the operational initiatives that we needed to do to keep the office closed, we also got some time to think through some exciting new initiatives. So tell us a little bit about some of those. You know, I love the saying that necessity is the mother of invention because that truly was the case for us. Very early on, I think we came to the realization that while the shutdown may be a short-term thing, and by short-term I mean a matter of weeks or a couple months, there was going to be a very prolonged period before business was going to resume and things were going to feel normal again. In addition to managing the practice in Cincinnati, our goal for this year was to open other HerMD locations around the country using a franchise model. And so before COVID, we were talking to a bunch of physicians who were interested in opening other locations. And that was our expansion plan for the year. And now we're faced with a situation where the markets had crashed, small businesses were closing left and right. And in the intermediate to long term, I think the general economic uncertainty is not a good um, breeding ground for new companies opening up, new practices opening up. So we had to take a very hard look at our strategic plan for the year and how we could spend this time, not just idling, but actually take advantage of it and emerge from this crisis stronger than ever. So we sat down and we actually spent an entire half day doing a strategic planning session. And I think uh, when I proposed this, I think you guys thought I was a little bit crazy. I Um, had this immense feeling of dread. So this, (laughs) I mean, I'll be honest, this is a completely different skill set for me, right? I'm a physician and yes, I own the practice. But when I saw that Kathy, my COVID queen, had put a three hour phone call in place, I was like, has she lost her mind? I'll be honest with you. And then I was scared. I'm like, what are we going to talk about for three hours? Kind of like when you go on a date and you're like, oh, what am I going to talk to about this with this person? And so I think I went in most hesitant um, into this (laughs) exercise. And what did I tell you at the end of it? 
it flew by. I had so much fun. I used a completely different skill set. And we came out of it with some amazing, uh, really cool, fun ideas, but absolutely dreading it. And I had thought you had lost your last set of marbles. <laughs> so. So, so what we did during the three-hour session to make the time fly by was we started by defining or redefining really our vision and our mission and what was important to us. And around our vision and mission, we set out new goals that we wanted to achieve in 2020. Those included, you know, wanting to make sure that we build our brand power and expand our brand recognition beyond Cincinnati and beyond Ohio. We wanted to make sure that we were establishing ourselves as the thought leaders in female sexual health care. And we wanted to think about other ways that we could expand our revenue streams to relieve our cash flow issues. So we did a bunch of different exercises during those three hours. My favorite were the round robins. So posing a question to the three of us and then giving each person like three to five minutes to just respond with their own opinion, as opposed to a free for all discussion where people might not get time to actually voice their opinion or not feel like they're actually heard. I really liked the brain writing exercise that we did too. I don't know if you guys remember this, but basically pose a different question to each person, write it, write your thoughts on a Google doc. And then after three or five minutes, we all switched questions. So I build off of what Somi was saying and Mani would build off of what I was writing and Somi would build off of what Mani was writing. And then we would switch one more time so that we each had the opportunity to contribute to each question, but in our own way and building off of what the other people had written. Another exercise that we did that I really liked was alter ego exercise, which was basically after we had defined some customer problems that we wanted to solve, we thought about how different companies would approach the same problem. Like how would Apple approach this problem? How would Netflix approach this problem? How would Uber approach this problem? And we came up with some pretty good ideas. And out of that meeting, we came up with three initiatives that we decided we would focus on. So the first was Herbox, which is our new subscription box service for female sexual health. Every two months, we ship out a box filled with sexual health goodies that are curated by Somi. And we actually just shipped our first her box. I think we've just been blown away by the interest in that product, which has been awesome. I was going to say I was on a walk with someone the other day, socially distant walk. Um, and I was telling her about her box because she was asking about work and how it was going and, you know, the impact. And she was so excited about it. She was like, that's the best thing I've heard about in a really long time. Like, send me the link. I want to sign up for it, which was really cool to hear. And I was also telling her, I'm learning a lot about different products. So the consumer research part is fun and interesting as well. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's, you know, a set of products where most women don't feel comfortable walking to into a sex shop and mm -hmm. doing the due diligence or exploration they need to really get to know what products are out there but everybody's like secretly curious about what's out there and this is a great opportunity to just explore it in a very discreet confidential way 
What I love the other day that happened, Kathy obviously is our chief strategy officer, but obviously during COVID, she's actually moved to Cincinnati and um, put up her sleeves and dug right in and has helped us and become part of the team. But the other day, it was so amazing to, I had a patient who was like, Dr. Javade, I ordered her box and my husband and I are so excited and who do I talk to and how do I do this? And I go, well, come on over. I said, this is our chief strategy officer. And I was like, yes, the woman up front who took your temperature and provided you with the mask is actually the mad genius behind the mask. I thought it was really cool for Kathy to meet the people that she's uh, filling these orders for because normally she wouldn't get to do that. And I thought that was coming full circle and the patient gave her some very positive feedback and how excited they were uh, to be using this, especially during COVID. So I thought that was fun. Um, Yeah. And it's an idea that would not have come about if it wasn't for COVID, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. And that phone call taught me and just really hit it home for me how aligned we are with our mission of empowering women, but how different our skill sets are and how easily we have learned to communicate with each other, even though we all have a very different skill set and we even have different vocabulary. I mean, Kathy, I had to Google so many things when you and I would first talk, Um, (laughs) you know, and um, I know you did as well. Like I taught you the word lichen sclerosis. So um, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. So but now it's so nice that we do have this different skill set and we can help each other um, build upon it and come up with these amazing strategic initiatives. And I did come out of that phone call so invigorated by it. And, you know, Herbox was just one of the initiatives. So yeah, tell us about the rest. Well, the second initiative was this podcast, which is happening. Obviously, you're listening to it. So it has come to life. We wanted to launch a podcast that helped physicians understand what the experience has been like for us in managing our own business and opening up our own sexual health practice, and also make the content appealing to consumers and patients as well. And so this is our second episode, and it's super exciting to kind of see this get off the ground. And the third initiative we came up with during that meeting was our sexual health summit. So in June, we are hosting a virtual sexual health summit, primarily geared towards providers, but not necessarily providers in the sexual healthcare space yet. Like Somi, you always say only 30% of OBGYNs are even trained to treat female sexual health patients, which is crazy because you think OBGYNs, they only focus on one part of the body. Yeah. So Um, how did we miss that memo? I don't know. But me personally, I will tell you, went through some great universities and accredited training programs. And my only sexual health training was all about diseases or pregnancy, not Mm -hmm. about pleasure or arousal or, you know, sexual pain. That all came post-residency, all of that training. So absolutely. Um, Yeah. So we want to get this information and knowledge out to as many providers as possible, whether they're in internal medicine, family practice, or in OBGYN, but they haven't specialized or taken any classes in sexual health up until this point. And so that summit is happening at the end of June. And we're really excited about the lineup. We've confirmed all our speakers. So we're going to be opening up registration soon. But I think, you know, the important thing coming out of 
this strategic planning session, in addition to these ideas, was just a feeling of like hope and excitement mm -hmm. and something to look forward to versus the fear and uncertainty that we had been feeling so much up until that point. So I mean, I have to react to something you said, and it made me think. In med school, we learned about the anatomy and pregnancy and, you know, STDs, et cetera, but we never learned about like pleasure or desire. And it just made me immediately think about, that's so crazy. But like, it's like being a trained chef and learning like what nutrients you need for your body or like how to prepare the food, but like, doesn't matter what it tastes like. Mm -hmm. like it was just, that's so crazy to me to think through that. Yeah, that it was just purely the, not that there's no science to arousal or desire. Right. There absolutely is. There's neurochemistry and biochemistry, but you're exactly right. Just taking the most plain parts of it, the, the parts that are just all about functionality, right? right? And not about pleasure. I mean, sex that we have is not just for procreation. We shouldn't just worry about disease or pregnancy, but or fertility, but also, you know, and female pleasure. And we've talked about that and the gender disparity that exists. So I agree with you, you know, and my husband jokes, you guys, you know, he's a oncologist, but you're right, Kathy, OBGYNs deal with a very limited amount of anatomy. And we're supposed to be very focused on gynecology, the genitalia, you know, the vagina, and then obviously obstetrics too. But we don't learn about this and all of the training comes afterwards. There are programs now popping up, you know, that have expressed interest that want to have a sexual health division, but most universities where residency programs are occurring and medical students are not getting any exposure to this. So it's, it's very sad. So we obviously had a lot of fun coming up with these new initiatives. And I think it definitely brought us, some renewed focus on our brand and what we wanted to accomplish this year, given the new direction we had to move in. But Kathy, you obviously still had to worry about the core business and making sure we could stay afloat to execute these strategic initiatives and pay our employees and keep our doors open. So talk to us a little bit more about our financial position and how you navigated us through that with this crisis. As I said earlier, we did not have a big pile of cash that we were sitting on for a rainy day. And so that was honestly my biggest fear in the beginning was, are we still going to have a practice in a few weeks? And so the first thing I did was I built a daily cash flow model, which I know is not in everybody's skill set, but it was really important to me to kind of just map out, okay, where do I think the money is going to come in from and where does it have to go out? And I knew that we were not going to be generating any cash from our medical spa. And I knew that while we were still collecting medical reimbursements, those were going to start to gradually decline as the number of appointments, even though we were doing telemed, um, it just wasn't at the same volume as before. So I mapped out all of our cash inflow. And then what was really helpful was understanding when and where cash was going out. We identified that big chunk of cash um, that goes out our door is to vendors and to lenders. And so those were people that we called immediately. I think even before we closed our practice, we reached out to every single one of our lenders. We have a lot of lenders because of all our different medical devices that are each financed by a different entity. 
And so contacting them, understanding how to request forbearances with each of those lenders. I have to say, every single one of our lenders, except one who will remain nameless, did give us at least a three-month forbearance, which like no questions asked, really, because they knew all businesses were going through a tough time. And that was a saving grace for us. We also talked to our vendors. We have vendors that obviously want to get paid. They're going through tough times too. Normally they do call almost daily. I get some calls from our vendors asking, you know, is this check in the mail? Have you paid this balance yet? And I was just very frank with them. I said, we had to close our practice. We don't have any cash flow coming in. We have this invoice on our books. We don't have the ability to pay it right now, but as soon as we can, we will. And they just backed off. I don't think for the entire month of April, I got one call from any vendor asking where payment was. They just knew. So that was extremely helpful too. And we stopped all payments to our vendors during that time. But in addition to that, like all those initiatives, it still wasn't enough. And so we actually applied for two different federal aid slash loan programs. And I know that this was a huge source of frustration for a lot of small businesses. And it really was for us as well. To prepare for this call, I just like went back in my emails and tried to map out the timeline that we went through in order to get funding from just one of the programs. So the two programs that we applied for, the first one was the SBA Economic Injury Disaster Loan, or the EIDL. And the second one was the Paycheck Protection Program, or the PPP. We applied for the EIDL first because it, it, it became available first. And even before we submitted our application, we found out about the program because we were monitoring uh, Governor DeWine's daily press briefings, and he had made an announcement that this was a program that was going to be available to small businesses soon. So we signed up for their mailing list so that we would be notified as soon as the application was available. We submitted our application for this on March 19th and we submitted it the night that it became available. On March 30th, they asked us to resubmit our application because they had modified it to make it easier. So we resubmitted on March 30th. Then two weeks later, we received an advance of $10,000. So this was part of the program. For everyone who applied, they would get $10,000, which did not have to be repaid. And that was a nice little shot in the arm that we needed at that time. On April 18th, the SBA sent us our loan documents. And on April 21st, we finally received the loan proceeds. So it took us 29 days from the day that we submitted our original application until the day that we actually received our loan proceeds. And I'm still hearing from other small business owners that they have not yet been approved for the EIDL. So we're one of the lucky ones. The PPP program that we applied for, I think everybody knows by now, it is such a mess. We actually ended up applying for this program through three different banks. So applications for the PPP became available on April 3rd, and we had that date bookmarked in our calendars. We had our application ready to go. We had all of our supporting documents ready to go. And everybody told us to apply for this program through Wells Fargo because we already had an SBA loan out with them. Unfortunately, Wells Fargo, due to some late guidance from the government, did not have their application available on April 3rd, which was a Friday. We got an email saying um, we could indicate interest in the PPP program over the weekends. 
if we logged in and pressed some button, but when we logged in, the button wasn't there. And by Monday, they had already stopped taking applications because they were overwhelmed. So we weren't even able to get our application in with Wells Fargo, who's our existing lender. So that's when we pivoted to Chase. Chase is who we keep our bank accounts with. And so we reapplied through Chase on Monday. And after about two and a half weeks of hearing nothing from them, they asked us to reapply on April 23rd with some modified information. And on May 7th, they rejected us because the program, the PPP program had run out of funds. Luckily, before then, we already got restless and decided we were going to apply with a third bank. So we applied with Stockyards Bank, which is a community bank here that we have a loan out with. And we applied with Stockyards Bank on April 27th. And actually, they were able to approve our loan and get us loan numbers within 48 hours. So it took us about four weeks total from our from when the PPP application went live before we actually got approved for a loan. And then it was another week before we actually saw the checking accounts with the money in it. So it was, again, another kind of nightmare process, but we're probably one of the lucky ones because we eventually did get some money. This whole process was infuriating for me though. I, as I was watching businesses that shouldn't have gotten the money, that had funding, that had millions and upon millions of dollars in the bank, that didn't meet criteria as a small business, but had gotten the money through loopholes. And I know eventually those businesses had to return the funds, but it was crazy to me. And then to watch small businesses like ourselves and then Farm Girl Flowers also, you know, another one that did a video about how they had not yet gotten funding either. It was criminal to me and just getting this runaround and then watching, I think some of the banks gave preferential treatment to obviously the bigger companies. Uh, and that's frustrating because those companies may not need it as much and they may have access to other funds that small businesses like ours do not. So I found this process incredibly frustrating, especially when the third bank that was smaller was able to get us funding so much more quickly. And I asked our lender how she did that. And she said that big banks were flooding the system during the day. So small banks like theirs, like stockyards, were logging in at 11.59. So loan officers were getting on right before midnight. So they would be the first ones to log on for the next business day. And they then fed their small number of loan applications um, at that midnight hour. And that's how they were able to kind of circumvent this clogging of the system that had occurred um, by the bigger banks. So it was very eye-opening to me watching the allocation of funds. Yeah, absolutely. But we're grateful that we eventually got them. And truly, um, I think we've been able to breathe our first sigh of relief because we know now with those two programs in place that we have the liquidity we need to get through the summer and beyond. As you went through all of this, through COVID of financing and thinking through employees and a reopening strategy, what is the one piece of advice you would give other business owners and managers out there when managing the business and their, their team through this type of crisis? So I was watching a webinar from Northwestern Business School, actually, they had a bunch of webinars about managing through crisis. When I was watching that, somebody said 
something that was really helpful to me, which is know you will and plan for getting through this. Through all my years of working with business owners, like one of the things that I've noticed in successful business owners is grit. You never put your pencil down. You never give up. You never take no for an answer. And we both know Somi. Somi's like one of the grittiest people we know. She will bulldoze you in a good way <laughs> to, to get her mission accomplished, which is good because our mission is really important and she won't take no for an answer. And so the first part is no, you will get through this and you have to have the grit to survive. But the second part is plan for getting through this. And I know it's really easy when you're going through crisis as a company to get tunnel vision and just try to take things day by day. I just need to get through this day. I just need to get through this week. But in so many aspects of planning through COVID, we had to think months in advance. Like it took us months to get the money from the programs that we applied to. It took us months to get the hand sanitizer, the face mask that we needed in order to reopen. It's kind of like driving down a dark street at night. You can't do it if you can only see one foot in front of you. So you have to as you manage through the crisis, also plan for when it's going to be over and make sure you're thinking through not just a week into the future, but months into the future as well. Yeah, that's so true. I remember initial phone calls. How are we going to handle today, tomorrow, this week? And it, it quickly became very apparent that we needed to think more long term. Otherwise, we'd constantly just be treading water. I feel like the reopening because of all the preparation and the way we've done it in phases has been so well received. It's been smoother than I even anticipated uh, because we've been opening the gynecologic side to annuals and preventative um, visits as well. And then opening certain parts of the spa patients have been so appreciative. They've been bringing gifts uh, and they felt like they have been in constant communication with us. So I think we've done a really good job in preparing both sides of the practice uh, to number one, get through the crisis, but then to survive and thrive beyond the crisis. Um, so that's been really, really nice to watch that coming to fruition. Oh yeah, I think the staff and everyone, I think our patients are excited for us to reopen. We just started reopening um, multiple services and it's been exciting to say, we're excited to welcome you back. There have been lots yeah. of uh, virtual air hugs. <laughs> I, I do have to comment on this too. You know, my husband does work at a hospital and he was talking about how numbers have been down and patients have been slow to return, not for him, but for primary care and other divisions of the hospital. And he said the other day, the internists were so excited. They were excited to see eight patients. And you know, internists usually see 20 to 30. So even though we're seeing, you know, about 25% less uh, volume right now, just because we're allowing cleaning time between patients, our patients in our practice have been very faithful and have not been slow to return. We've been struggling to find places to fit them in because of the modified schedule. So I think that's the other thing that's been really nice to watch is yes, COVID is definitely changing business and life as we know it. But our patients have been re remained very true and faithful to us and have been returning and uh, filling up our books, um, even though our schedules are different. We're seeing a lot more than eight patients a day. So uh, that's good. 
Yeah, as the official temperature taker when patients walk in the door, I know how many of them, like this is their first venture out of the house other than to go to the grocery store. So that just tells you how much they value your care and the services that we're providing. That's so good to hear. I love that. Well, thank you, Somi and Kathy. It's always really awesome to connect with you guys and talk with you. I always feel like I'm learning something new, even though I work with you both every day. Next week, it's your turn because we're going to be talking about your area of expertise, which is marketing and building your business. Yes. And I'm definitely very excited to talk about that. That always makes me really happy. So these strategic initiatives have been like really fun for me to work on. So I'm definitely excited to talk to you all about that next week. But thank you again, Somi and Kathy. You can follow us at HerMD Health on Instagram and Facebook. You can go to HerMDHealth.com to sign up for our newsletter and keep informed. And you can find our podcast on Buzzsprout and Spotify. Bye. 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 (laughs) See you next time.